We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Most valuable player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton. Nice jumper. Got it. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Hey there. Welcome to the Eurostep Podcast Network. We've got a great crossover episode here today on Monday. The last Monday in August, we're in the off season now, but still plenty of content coming. All things Bucks, current and historic, maybe even we'll see about that. But I'm joined. I'm Ty Windish of the Eurostep Podcast, joined by the great Adam McGee. Adam, hello. Hello, Ty. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. I haven't podcasted. I think since our book club pod with Mirren, which was a ton of fun. If you haven't heard that, somehow. Go listen to our conversation with the New York best time, New York Times best-selling author. Excuse me, New York Times. But uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm excited. We're going to talk about Bud. We're going to talk about the roster a little bit. Um, but before we do that, we should talk about something else that's also exciting. Yeah, we should. We should talk about the fact that we've launched a Substack, uh, gspn.substack. Dot com, right? Dot com is the domain for, so. yeah. for Substack. Um, some of you may have seen this already on social. We've tweeted and shared about it. Jordan put up a, an article about Bud's extension. I followed up the next day with some details of some of the things we've got in store um, over the next while, like short-term and long-term at GSPN, some of the plans we have in place. So it's something that we'd, we'd all really like you to go and sign up for. You'll get articles from all four of us i think at some point or another as kind of something crops up we want to explore we all were once bloggers some of us more recently than others and uh it's an outlet that we'll, we'll have to explore some books thoughts in that way but also just some behind the scenes stuff um we'll, we'll probably come up with some different things as we go along but it's also what we'll use to give you a sneak peek on what's coming up and a sneak peek on some of the projects we're working on. I gave some details on some of the stuff. I guess we'll lead off with something that's coming next. After after you and I have done this, the next thing that you'll hear from any of us, or more accurately see from any of us, is we're going to do a GSPN Jeopardy, which uh, Rohan has been busy at work for quite some time with questions. 
we've done a trial run. Ty wasn't there for it. Maybe he's going to claim he's at a disadvantage when he's losing because <laughs> he wasn't there for the trial run. But it it should be a lot of fun. We're hoping that works out really nicely and something that we'll find ourselves doing pretty regularly. So that will go up on the YouTube at some point over the next couple of days. Um, we're going to have a series breaking down key figures from within the book's title run. That's going to come up late, mid to late September and kind of run through to very close to the start of the new season. Jordan and I are going to interview all sorts of people, friends of the show, books fans, uh, former guests on Winning Six throughout the month of September and probably into October again, just to talk about their the journey of their books fandom and what it means to to see the team finally win a championship again. And then I guess the thing that's, you know, the furthest out, it's it's quite a way down the road. It's a 2022. And I would, you know, I would wager not the beginning of 2022. It's not like um, clock turns 12 and we're into 2022. And this you got You're being too specific. You have to have a Dante DiVincenzo timeline. Just say you're ahead <laughs> of schedule all the time without saying anything else. Uh, are we ahead of schedule? Are we behind schedule? I actually don't know. That's the kind of scale of this thing right now. Uh, we're at such an early point. But Jordan and I, as we revealed, um, as revealed in the Substack, that's where you'll have heard about it first. And you might have seen on Twitter, we're at work. We're in the research stages on a long-form narrative documentary podcast series on a specific era in the Milwaukee Books history. There'll be more details to come down the line. Um, is the is the shirt I'm wearing? Is that nodding to something? I don't know. I've just noticed I'm wearing oh. an Atlanta Hawks shirt, and I haven't. No one's no one will have seen that because I was avoiding them throughout the playoffs for, for good reason. I wasn't going to come on come on a podcast wearing some of the Hawks gear that I own. But you know, we'll see. We've got we've got all sorts that we'll get into. You'll get more details, and Jordan and I will probably start to leave some. You know, trails of breadcrumbs over the next couple of months for Substack subscribers. So if you want to get those straight to your inbox, if you want to get notification of any GSPN stuff wherever and whenever it posts, and if you want to get any articles or other thoughts that we decide to share, gspn.substack.com, sign up, and you get all of the good stuff we do straight to your inbox. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that at the end. In addition to all this great bonus content, previews, Maybe some mailbag opportunities. Who knows? We'll see on mm-hmm. that. All free for now. The Substack entirely free at the moment. All the content. All you got to do is sign up. Also, it's just we're going to let everyone know, hey, this is what we're doing. Here's new podcast up. If you ever have gone, oh, man, I love the pod, but I missed the last couple. Let's get like sign up. Get a notification. Stay or up to date. Even with video is the thing, I think, too. You might have people who they check their their pod feeds every day. They may not check a YouTube feed. They might've hit subscribe over there, but if we release something that goes up on the YouTube that doesn't land on a pod feed, there's a chance they might miss it. So widows kind of branching out, doing all kinds of different things, having a lot of fun with this. It makes sense. Here's somewhere where it will all go, where you'll make sure you don't miss any of it too. Exactly. Gspn.substack.com. And you can find all the pod links, the YouTube and the Substack at bit.ly slash findgspn. And of course, on all of our Twitters, at Ty Windish, at AdamMiggy11, at Eurostep Podcast, at Winning Six Podcast, at Jordan Tresky, at Arcadi Jr. too. I mean, we're all going to share all of the good stuff as well. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible to find all of our Bucks content. Speaking of Bucks content, Mike Budenholzer got an extension, finally. 
were you worried at all it wasn't coming? Because I was like, I was 0% worried for a while. Then I was like 10% worried until we got, I think, the low post. And then a couple days after, Woj reporting on, on TV. And then that made it seem like, okay, there's really no need to worry about this. No, I wasn't worried at all. I, I kind of found it weird that people were getting a little antsy about it. Um, it had been laid out by John Horst when he gave his post-draft uh, media availability that it's there, it's kind of it's on the docket as such, but Bud was going to be heavily involved in the draft process, in the free agency process. And when all of that stuff was taken care of, it's at that point they'd sit down and iron it out. and. I don't think there was probably too much ironing out on it. I'm not. I'm not surprised. Um, it taking a little bit of time too doesn't shock me. I think there there may not have been quibbles over like you know salary amounts. They may have had discussions over years though. I think it's it's something we'll get to, and I think we might have different perspectives on it. But I'm I'm not surprised it took a little bit of time because they laid it out. I'm certainly not surprised that it's got done but just won a championship with the books. So he was always going to be back. It was always going to be ironed out. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, with, you know, the last dance coming out in the last couple of years, sometimes you just see stupid things derail even great teams. So I, I didn't think there was going to be a real issue, but you just never know until Penn is put to paper. You, you just don't know. So I'm certainly glad to see it. Let's talk about, and we don't know the terms, the the money. You assume it's pretty good. I mean, Two-time coach of the year, now obviously a championship coach. I'm sure Bud is is. Gessler was well pretty good to begin with, and it's even better now. Like yeah. I, I would say probably top ten contract that's now gone to top five contract. Uh, which if if it is that kind of progression, that's also probably in line with his standing as a coach around the league at this point too. Um, so that makes sense. But yeah, I don't think don't think he'd be left wanting, or there would be too many kind of hard discussions over that element of the deal. No, especially because, of course, coach contracts, there's no salary cap. They don't count toward tax or anything like that. It's whatever you want to do. So obviously it's got to be somewhat within reason, but doesn't hurt the bucks in any other avenue to pay Bud. So hopefully he got uh, money for a lot of cookies. We know Bud loves cookies, but the years. So let's talk about the years. I had said at one point, I probably said lifetime pretty soon after he won the thing, which I still would have been fine with. Um, Bud joked 20 years. Um, I would have been fine with that. I, I said five, I, more realistically, I think five is the high end of, at least in the NBA, in the NFL, they'll give like a 40-year contract. But in the NBA, five years for a coach, especially for an extension, five years total is a pretty long time. Tacking on five is a, a very big commitment too. I like your take on why he probably went for three specifically. And I think I agree with it. I'm, I'm very confident. I, I like to think at this point that I've got a good handle on all things, but I haven't taken some of the victory laps. I think I could you have might taken be the expert. Well, I certainly came into the whole, but as books coach, that was, that was the thing. Um, have I stayed a little bit more quiet at times? And has it suited me to do that? Sure, I'll admit that. <laughs> did I once be like, hey, Rick Carlisle's available? Maybe, <laughs> yes, I did once do that. None of us are immune to that. Um, but I like to think I, I've watched Bud coach basically his entire coaching journey as a head coach. And this did not surprise me in the slightest. I would not be shocked if the books were like, 
here's a five-year offer worth X amount a year. Let's sign it up. And Bud was like, how about we just extend for three years? Because to get through to the end of that season, so okay, what happens at that point? That brings you through to the end of the 2024-25 season. That is the final year before Giannis is a player option. That is a player option year for Drew Holiday. So Drew Holiday could opt out and become unrestricted. And if Chris Middleton opts into his player option the year before, he will be unrestricted that summer. Uh, Brooke Lopez will be unrestricted in 2023-24. Pat Connaughton, even if he opts into his 2023-24. So 2024-25, this could all be over. This this whole show, it could be time to move on. Who knows? Maybe Giannis decides at that point he wants to go play elsewhere um, at the end of that season. Right now, I don't think that will be the case. I don't feel like if there will necessarily ever be reason, he's done the thing that would have everyone on his back about that forever. So if he's happy to be in Milwaukee and there's something good there, there's no reason for him to leave. But if I was the head coach, and particularly if I was Bud, Bud hated every second, and he was not there for very long of it, of the rebuild with the Hawks. He walked into the Hawks where they were really good. They were a little bit better than the Herb Cole kind of eight seed or bust and that they would reliably be the eight seed at worst. Eight to six range is where the yeah. books were kind of, pre, or where the Hawks were pre-Bud's arrival. And when he came in, Danny Ferry kind of did a mini teardown to more retool the roster and with the combination of some smart moves there and with Bud's coaching, they actually became really good again really quickly. Most people listening, I'm sure, know about the 60-win Hawks season and whatever, five players, player of the month, all of that stuff, Bud's first coach of the year season. That comes through the other side. Al Horford leaves. He ends up with Dwight Howard. Things just don't go well for the Hawks. Um, Dennis Schroeder turns out to be kind of what Dennis Schroeder is to this day rather than something more reliable, steady that you're going to build a real top tier winning team. And ultimately there is front office change. Travis Schlank comes in and it's like, we're rebuilding, but stuck around for that first season. There was never any feeling that he enjoyed it. Wasn't, was that first season before Schlank? Wasn't he the GM for a year or two? Uh, he took over when Ferry's situation Yo, came to a head, and Ferry so was out. So, year. so gotcha. in in season, he became president of basketball operations, and Wes Wilcox was the GM, if I remember correctly, during that time. Um, and then coming out the other side of that, yeah, that f- he was there for Slank's first first season. It never seemed like he was Slank's coach. In part because he wasn't a rebuild coach. His heart wasn't in it. And I, they mutually agreed to part ways. That's how he's on the market. He ends up with the books in the first place. But I think that was the thing for me when it came to the extension. That was like the lesson to learn. And what people were talking about when he himself on the low post is joking about a 20-year deal, particularly given how the book's future assets look, you know, there is no way Bud wanted part of a 20-year deal. I will say, I'm gonna push back. I cool. think he, I think if they put a twenty year deal, he probably signs it. I think he'd like to retire before that. <laughs> no, that's fine. But I'm just like, let's 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 just for easy math. Who who wants a twenty year deal for anything? Really? If it's, if it's ten million a year for easy math, maybe that's high. It's not that high. Two hundred million dollars. You think Bud is high. not going to sign a piece of paper that says two? Do you get two hundred million dollars? 
What's he going to do with $200 million when he's 70? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Well, I mean, he'll have 180 when he's 60 or whatever, and he can, I don't know, watch movies, whatever Bud does, but I don't know. I, I don't think know if he, he watches had... movies as much as he literally watches film. You know, okay. well, oh, <laughs> I yeah. think his theater is literally, it's not for watching films, it's for watching film. Um, I, I think I, if you're an NBA coach, you very, you basically never see a piece of paper that right, gives look, you Giannis okay. Supermax money. That, that doesn't happen, though. That's what point. I'm saying. That that's what I'm happen. saying. I, that's, but, uh, so, I just wanted to push back on literally if there was a 20 year deal. I still, he may not be, he might be like, hey, can we just do that for 10? Like, <laughs> you know, we don't need to, let's half the value and do it for 10 years. I don't think anyone at anything who in their job is just like, you know, give me a 20 year deal. I would 100% know that 20 years from now, this is what I want to do in my situation. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. I think it it's less about sense. that and more about locking in. A certain blue wire, if you're listening, 20-year deal at 10 million a year, I'm in. Lock it down. No opt-out. I'll, 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 I'll sign it. I'll sign it today. I've got a feeling that uh, that <laughs> offer is not going to be forthcoming, Ty. You never but know. I think with Bud, there is nothing to say that he may not be in Milwaukee 20 oh, years. Yeah, other, yeah. other than that's very unlikely, and that's just not how coaching works in the NBA. But I'm not surprised that he only wants to extend true to four seasons from now, three additional tacked on to what his deal had remaining. And basically, yeah, let's see. Let's see how everything is. Let's see. You know, it might just be enough that if Giannis wants to stay and Giannis is still healthy, he's still coaching Giannis. Yeah, he may well be like, let's stay. But I understand why someone would want to get to that point. And I I think that's fair. So I, I think three years was good for all parties. It gives four years total like that's some long-term security from a book's point of view too there's no kind of uncertainty i would have been a little bit more concerned if it was like say if he was setting a two-year extension that would have brought him up to middleton's player option which could be a kind of soft date where the books take a step back or things get dicey in some different way that would have that would have concerned me a little bit because it's dealing with a shorter timeline so it's nice to get the four years and bring true to basically the end of everyone's contracts. Like it goes past the Brook Lopez era, likely past the Chris Middleton or into his next deal. And you're still kind of working through where you are with Giannis and Drew. And it just, it makes sense. Given the last three years, we'll say in particular for the books as an organization and for books fans have been all about, you know, as Woj was first to kind of coin it, the clock ticking. He didn't first coin the idea of a clock ticking, but he, <laughs> he coined it for the books. And in regard to Giannis, I think it's really nice that just kind of not only do you win a championship, but you come out the other side of it. It's like, oh, hey, that we can't even hear the clock. It's so far off in the distance, you know, and but matching up with the players makes sense for everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And I, I would I would assume let's just imagine things go really right and everyone is happy. It could be a similar situation where a bud extension comes like nine months after another Giannis extension, right? Like that's where the timeline is. Giannis would be ready to sign another insane extension. They might sign them on the same day, side by side. Maybe, uh, you know? maybe. I think with there's more urgency with players because it's more regulated when exactly they can do it. Um, extension rules are weird in the CBA, but it could be another one where within the same calendar year, we get Giannis re-ups and then later Bud says, hey, if Giannis is going to be around, I will be too. It is rare for a coach to stick around for more than, I don't know, should we say five years? Most are probably less than that. I think five is a good long time for a coach to be in the same place. I will say the Bucks are trying to emulate the Spurs, and that's like the Spurs' whole thing. And I think in general, most of the successful franchises over the last forever, um, outside of you know the super team that is LeBron moving from team to team, one of the things they have in common, whether it's Miami or the Spurs or the Mavericks until very recently, is the same head coach for a long time. And those examples stand out, but I do think that your your floor is much higher year to year if you're keeping the same coach for a long time, given they're good. If they weren't good, you probably wouldn't be keeping them. But also, I just think it's a generally helpful thing that is very, very good to just maintaining such a, a good team year over year. I also, I don't know how much, honestly, the books decision makers know or care about the history of the franchise. Like, being that seriously, I really, I have <laughs> no idea. I don't know if it registers with them. But forget the Spurs, which it's hard to do because they've tried to follow the Spurs well, at every juncture. The, the Spurs are making it easy to forget the Spurs of late. Well, but listen, <laughs> let's look to the books. Yeah, and let's look to the previous times the books have been good. I mean, you've got good coaches, and something good has happened. And it's like Larry Costell is there for nine years, Don Nelson for eleven years. I mean, sure, there are other coaches who whose names crop up. Dell Harris was a very strong coach and was obviously very closely tied to the Don Nelson years. George Carl, 
interesting tenure but i think generally a lot of people listening will be more familiar and they associate him with you know former books coaches but really like books coaching mount rushmore only has two faces on it right now yeah now it has a third but before bud it was Eric Stell and it was don nelson and that there are the times where there's been a level of consistency and how good the team has been and sure it's coincided with talent on the court but it's also been the stability of okay we've got a coach and good things are happening let's try to get out of our own way and not make this really messy, which is actually really what happened in the George Carl era yeah. generally, but with players and then ultimately, I guess, with Carl, although he was a part of the first part of that problem. But I, I think that's that's the thing too, and it's even for Bud. I don't know if Bud thinks like that. Um, obviously, in his own regard as an individual in terms of you know winning percentages and, and even just how many championships he can win, how many coats of the year, I, I have no idea if he thinks like that, if he has a certain idea of what he'd like his legacy to be when he finished up coaching. But whether that's the wider game, whether that's within the books as a franchise, this is a this is a deal that's going to really see him kind of climb those ranks on a, on a really good team that's going to win a lot of games, that's going to win a lot of playoff games, possibly win another championship, or if we're really kind of optimistic, maybe more than that. Like this is this is a deal where it's in his interest to lock in because you can get to a position where you're one of the greatest coaches to ever coach the game. And certainly one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach to ever coach the Milwaukee books, because I mean, as, as things stand already, he is by far and away the win loss percentage leader um, books coaches all time. He's got a 71.4% win loss percentage in the regular season, which is pretty good. He is also now the postseason leader at 64.6, which is impressive, particularly because Costello got the two finals. Um, but that's the kind of area where it's like, I think it's also interesting when you think of Bud and Bud being the coach of really good Hawks teams, with the exception of a couple of years, but mostly his final year he's building this resume where I think all he wants to do is win. <laughs> like all he wants to do is have really good numbers year to year. So again, matching up with the star players on this team and not being like, Oh, I don't care who I'm coaching. You know, I want to be here for whoever the second round pick that the books take in 2024, 20, 25, that we've got to build around, <laughs> you know, I want to lead that version of the team. I, I think Bud is very much focused on winning, which is not a bad thing for your coach to be focused on. Bud is, if the Bucks go to the finals this year, he will be top 20 all time in NBA coaching playoff wins. He's 12. He's got 48 right now, which is 27th tied with Stan Van Gundy. If he gets up to 60, he'll be tied with John Kundla for 18. He'll be three behind Rick Carlisle. So certainly some, some very, he's only 52. Like that's because the thing I think people forget about Bud um, he was on that pop bench for so long that I don't think people realize how young he was when he ascended to kind of key assistant roles, even within the Spurs, that he was still very young when he became a, a head coach in a relative sense. So at 52, I mean, even by the standards that, you know, are there historically and we still see around the league, like even if it's another 15 years he coaches for, it's a lot of time to climb those ranks. Like I think his place in the game is going to be really interesting by the time he finishes coaching. And his place in Milwaukee is going to be, I guess, the the bulk of that. But um, it's, look, it's looking good for Bud right now. Yeah, he's also 33rd 
in regular season win loss percentage total. The Hawks tenure holds down the Bucks tenure a little bit, but yeah, Bud uh, on track to be an all time great coach. All right, I, I just I, I was I, I was wrong. I'll admit it. I know I, you've been waiting for this. I was about to I was about to prompt it. I was like, you've been where waiting is for this? This I thought this pod was going to come out a few days ago, and then I thought I was going to be doing this with Jordan. And if you weren't on, I was going to make funny. I was like, look. He's dodging the podcast. He's dodging. <laughs> he doesn't want to apologize. But here you are, Ty. So it's only a half apology. I still believe, based on past performances, specifically in the bubble, all the indicators were Bud was not a good enough playoff coach. But, and this is a point you made, and I'm going to give you credit as well as Bud. You always kind of said, essentially, not to paraphrase too much, but. You know, do you want to go out into the wilderness and take the chance on somebody else or expect that Bud will either improve or just find a groove or whatever you want to say? And everyone but himself, the organization, nobody wants to say, like, he coached better this postseason. I think he did. Like, I, 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 I just, think that has been said, though. I think I don't know if it has. I, I, they, think, I think ownership and even Horst have said that. Like, I'm not in a they haven't put down what he did the previous years to do that. But I, I do think they've said on record he he has got better and he's continued to coach the team up. Well, that that's what I think happened, and I think the improvement is what makes the difference. And I think part of it, really, it it did. It part of it was on horse in, in getting better personnel, and I think there was a lot of very healthy give and take between the team and Bud. Specifically, I think Drew and PJ being the defenders they were. I mean, PJ pleading and in pressers like don't help just let me defend kd um but i i don't i'm not saying you know bud deserves zero credit you know pj and, and drew were were everything and on the coaching side they weren't Bud does deserve credit he was still the guy and the way the bucks are built this spursian model it's not a team where they're going to like ignore the head coach or you know, there's not going to be a meeting where Giannis and Chris go into John Horst's office and say, fire Bud. That was never going to happen, right? They were going to listen to him. And look, that, that could happen. But I think it's you can't just give the players credit um, yeah, for that. Um, yeah, I'm not. No, but but that's that's also down to the culture that the coach has cultivated. Yes. yes. It's, it's the level of trust. And this is where for me and like – Pre pre GSPN and going back even to last season, I I think our paths were very much and we were on we had diverged time. We were in very different places with Bud. Uh, I think Jordan and I were over here on the just you know we just laugh when things go wrong to stop ourselves from crying, but we were more measured with it. Where where you and Rowan had a very different place to it, and I understand this, and I think this is the general thing of books, you know, books fans in particular and who've been on this journey with the team, Jason Kidd broke the fan base and he broke how people look at coaching. And in particular, it brought out this obsession with scheme, with scheme and with defensive scheme because the books got torn apart over and over again because of the defense they were running. Once it was found out beyond Kidd's first season and nothing adjusted. And then Bud comes in and the word on the street that was never it was never fully representative, but the thing, the knock on Bud, the thing that a talking head on ESPN would say. So the kind of the soundbite version of when people hear Bud's coming in, cool, coach of the year, regular season, what's he done in the playoffs? It would always come down to adjustments. So all of a sudden, you've got a fan base that rightly 
are very concerned about scheme and they fixate on it. Like, I don't think many other fan bases do. Like, and that's a good thing. There's a there's a level of um, basketball IQ that Jason Kidd brought out in books fans, which I think we should, you know, tip our hat. A lot of people learned a lot more about NBA. At defense. least one party in that whole affair is coming out of that with some basketball sure. IQ. So the thing with that, though, is it's it's easy. And it was easy when the criticism was there for Kidd. And it was easy when the criticism was there for Bud, because that's the thing we have access to. We have as much access to that as anyone else on the planet has. You can fire up a books game and with your own eyes, you can look at what they're doing defensively, what they're doing offensively, and you can analyze it. And it's it's all that's there for us to really work on. If you're coming at it from our position, if you're coming at it from a fan's position, the thing Bud has always been good at and one of the key things that really elevated that Hawks team, the 60-win team, and those five guys, and um, four of them ending up as all-stars, and they talked about it. It's how much they felt Bud trusted in them, just the general kind of spirit there was. And I think that also came to the fore as as this went on. It's the, it's the kind of person he is. It's This is not to kind of put him up on a pedestal as some kind of saint, but it's in the NBA, you may have some kind of X's and O's savants. There are plenty of them, you know, to get to that point, you're really good at stuff. A lot of those guys, and we know very high profile examples of it. They just cannot deal with people. They just have no people skills. They, they can't kind of foster the kind of unity or the kind of resolve that you want to have in a locker room when you're going to have to go through off nights you know, you're going to have to go through it no matter how good your team is, no matter how good your schemes are, things are going to go against you. And it's kind of what kind of resolve do they have? And it's something we talked about on this journey is we learned so much about the books that they had this ability, they had this resilience that they would come back, they'd fight through adversity and they just started to find ways to get it done. Like, I personally think that is but all over and that that comes from the coach. And even something which you're right, it's like someone like PJ comes in and is talking quite publicly about what he thinks the team should do defensively. I saw plenty of people tweet about it and not wrongly be like, oh, things have improved, you know, because PJ is there and PJ is in charge of the defense now, which is obviously quite a stretch, but there's an element of truth to something like that. Let's go to be conservative with it. 20 coaches, maybe in the NBA, even a player with PJ Tucker's experience, they're not going to come into a team particularly a team as good as this one with the players they have with a coach who's been there a couple of years and has won a lot of games and be like, I think we should do this defensively. And that's just instantly going to get kind of built into what they're doing. Like, I, I do think this book's run is very much made with like the spirit of collaboration and that they got something. And that's how you get, say, a Chris Milton. He looks like a true second star in spite of the fact we all spent years talking about if he was like that to me is, and always has been part of Bud. And it's the, it's the invisible thing, which is tough for fans and was going bad. It's like, Oh, just get this guy or get that guy. But you don't have to look very far to see a lot of the examples of that, that just could turn it spectacularly wrong. Like Nick nurse was the one that works out. We saw what the Pacers did in trying to emulate that. They're like, Oh, let's get a Nick nurse guy. X's and O's, what could go wrong? And they got a guy who just literally tore down that team from the inside in terms of that, the team dynamics. Nick Nurse, it, it's a win because they won. Hasn't been great since then. 
For sure. It's not been great since then. I, I remember he was throwing guys under the bus this last season, man. Like, uh, I'm not I, – I think people I still kind of just pencil him in as a top-tier coach not, because of that run. But I, sure. there's uh, – No, there's I'm, not, I'm not saying that. And I was, I was never that high on him. But I'm using him as the example right. because he became – you know, that was the fashionable and probably still is to an extent, you know, team fires a coach and they're looking for someone that's like, oh, well, Nick Nurse worked. Who's the next Nick Nurse? What can we get someone that, you know, fits that kind of profile of coach? And teams have already tried that and failed spectacularly because every coach is different in lots of different elements of what they do. And not to wade into some of the stuff that we talk at Mirren about and some of the discourse that's come along since that, but as it turns out, as problematic as the schemes were under the previous books coach, maybe what was more damaging was what was going on in terms of just day-to-day interactions with people, relationship managing, um, whether that person will you know dispute that or not. And you know, when you see it disputed, you don't see, oh no, my relationship with guy 15 on the roster was great. And I think that's that's a crucial thing too, because I think that's how you build what the books have had is it's not just like, Oh yeah. Giannis and the coach get on great. Like that's not what it's about. Of course, Giannis and the coach gets on great. Every coach Giannis ever has will get on great with him because otherwise they're going to lose their job. Like yeah. there, there's no winning in that one. So I, I think there's always been the thing that goes under discussed because we're not in the room to see it, but it's very obvious. But it's very obvious with the way guys feel about, Bud. it's true of books players now, but it was true of Hawks players as well. And even when someone like when you hear anecdotes from like Tim Duncan from his time with the Spurs as an assistant, like he clearly knows how to talk to people on like a normal human level, get people to like him. And turns out something as simple that is really, really valuable. Like that gets you started on the right path that then you can implement all of the other stuff and stubborn too. And he's admitted that. But when you build trust, he trusts the players, they trust him. It may take three years, as we've seen, but eventually you get to a point where there is more of a kind of natural exchange of ideas where, yeah, I think we should do this defensively. We can adjust it. Like all, all of that is something that I think is really easy to skate past. And people still will and be like, oh, no, it was nothing to do with Bud. His players want it. And that is, that's not true. It's not true. And I, I say that as, again, we have seen the very destructive kind of tendencies that a head coach can take to this kind of role, can take to this kind of team. And I don't think you can. He's also, you know, the non-answers, which we all hate, right? Yeah. If you're a team, they are great. When does Bud cause any problems internally for the players, for the front office, for the owners? Like, that's if you're a professional coach that's really what you should do. That's not what media wants. It's not what fans want. But if you're just going to like basically go in there half asleep and bat away all the questions, like your players are never coming to you because, Oh, well you said this about that guy. Like that is a skill. It's not a skill that any of us like. It's not a skill that does bud favors in terms of the outward perception of his intelligence or of his wit or of him as any kind of charismatic figure. But guess what? None of that actually matters. It's about how all of that comes across to the players in the locker room. And with that, like that's again an example of something that's like, okay, well, when we come to work, he's here to work with us and what we're doing stays in here. Like I maybe someone wants to pull me up on that. I can't think of even one instance where Bud has come close to like 
airing anyone's dirty laundry in public, calling anyone out, like even players that, you know, maybe they deserve that. They were non-essential to begin with. When the weird Tom thing happened, I don't think Bud said anything about that. That was his first season, right? Must have um, been. Yeah, it was pretty. And Feels when the like books really were just time. rolling off wins. But like I say all of that to put together, I guess the part of this that we haven't talked a lot about over even the playoff journey, because you have to talk about the basketball side of it. But I think it's a really crucial part to what Bud is as a coach and why they win a championship and why we're now here talking about an extension. Yeah, no, I agree. I think this is something that kind of dawned on me either in the finals or after the finals, especially as you mentioned, kind of reflecting back on the kid stuff. And while we were talking, I was even thinking like, cause I just don't want to talk about Jason Kidd anymore yeah, or ever again. <laughs> um, George Carl even, right? Like George oh, Carl, that's... I think it fits the description of like, maybe a more X's and O's coach kind of just had one thing. It's honestly kind of butt-esque in terms of like, Very I have my system. Oh, just in terms of system, just in terms yes. of system. The knocks but, on him as in an X's and O coach are almost identical before the season, but, and I'll let you take the butt. But like the opposite of all the other stuff that you just talked about, building a culture, you know, fostering good feelings off the court, et cetera, et cetera. Carl would have been trying to get one of Chris or Brooke out of here directly after 2019 and blaming everything on somebody being lazy or something else, which he's still doing on Twitter to this very day. He might hear this and, and subtweet me. Oh, I hope me. so. I would be, Don't even subtweet. Come on the pod, Adam McGee 11. I'm ready, George Carl. I've been waiting years. I'm ready. We'll, you know, your day will come. Honestly, for the, Ray Allen, we'll for the deep. Ray Allen trade, I mean, yeah, I think we, that deserves a deep dive at one point. That was a disastrous. Uh, I've read some stuff, Ty. I've read some stuff even recently. There's some stuff out there, quotes buried, like deep in the, the recesses of the turn of the century. And I don't think people would believe or remember just how messy a lot of that was. Furious George. You know, so yes, that's, that's a great example because it's a coach that in many ways they fit the same profile, except in one way where they could not be more different. And George Carl, to be clear, George Carl is a great coach, like basketball coach, X and O's, one of the greatest coaches of all time. There's a reason he piled up all of the wins he did. There's also a reason that like, he's still to this day involved in like public disputes of Boogie Cousins. And he's like tweeting stuff about Mello. It's, it's bizarre, but that says a lot about what's missing from his resume too. And even in you mentioning, you know, the players that back in 2001 would have got shipped out immediately or got the blame, or if Carl was coached now, how that might have happened to Chris Milton or Brooke Lopez. That's the other thing, too. Bud took the heat. You know, yeah. he never said anything about it for us to be like, oh, he took the heat. But we know he took the heat. That didn't fall on other people. It fell on him. He was made into the very kind of public scapegoat where he went on social media. That was the way. And by the time we got to the next series and when things did not look so good and when Carlisle got fired, like it wasn't just at that point books Twitter. It was the national discussion was like, but as a coach and can he do it? He took all that heat. Like, and by not saying anything about it, you're not pushing it off onto someone else. You're being like, yeah, sure. Okay. Leave the attention on me and let my players go and play their game. Like I, I, I do think all of that is valuable and that might be rarer. Uh, you know, take might out. I think that is rare in the NBA is a coach who will do that. It's because they're all like 
at the absolute elite level in terms of their understanding of the game, their ability to coach guys. But what can be missing because you get, you know, the 20 year uh, deal put in front of you, like tight, but you get these massive amounts of money and you're, there's cameras everywhere. You're surrounded by some of the greatest athletes of the planet. Ego comes into it. So it's the people who can just like remain decent people with those players and manage, you know, working relationships, care about them as people. That is not, it's not insignificant at all. I think it's, it's actually kind of crucial. And there's other examples of that too. Like someone like Frank Vogel, when he got the Lakers job, kind of a weird pick in a lot of ways because he'd been out of the league for a while. Vogel is kind of Bud-esque too, though, in, oh, yeah, in personality. So. Like, I, I do think there is something to those guys, if, particularly if you've got good enough players. They may not get the most if you're coaching up a team always, but if you've got players, it's like you're good enough to win a championship. I think that profile of coach is kind of ideal. I mean, I think even coaching up teams, I mean, both guys got pretty undermanned star power teams For to sure. the conference finals. But um, so just to sum up on Bud, I think... Still not a perfect coach. Still would like to see a little bit more. Really, for me, it's now offensive ingenuity. I think we've seen the defense come a really long way. Hopefully that's something, you know, this is the first, the uh, second full year of Chris Drew Giannis, right? I mean, it's they, they acquired Drew in the offseason last year, so it wouldn't surprise me. I, I think it's kind of funny. There's this urge, maybe it's more of a national thing, to look at the Bucks as like a very finished product. That was year one of the new iteration of the Bucks, And I mean, they won it all. So I think there's just this urge to pencil them in as, you know, that was the peak and everything else, whatever, they're going to fall apart now. I think they still have room to grow. I think they will grow. But Bud's not perfect. He's a, a very good coach, maybe a great coach. Um, and he's clearly well, – here's what matters. He's good enough to win a championship because we saw it, right? There's no debate. We saw it. And you can say whatever about injuries or whatever else. doesn't matter. That's the playoffs every single year. Uh, he's good enough to win a championship. We have the proof. He's not perfect. I'll, I'm probably going to get mad at him. Perfect coach does not exist. Yeah, exactly. Like you're um, going to get mad at any coach. This is this is the thing. This is like Steve Kerr is the example now where everyone can kind of see a lot of Steve Kerr's flaws. When the Warriors were just rolling off stuff, like those flaws were very much visible still to Warriors fans who were watching every single game. Like you could see the things where you're like, Oh, well that's not great, but Hey, it doesn't matter because we've got the greatest collection of basketball players ever assembled, but it's like, there's always, you can look to another coach. And if that is your team, you're watching every game. There's going to be stuff. You're not going to like perfect coach doesn't exist. Like, Bud is a very, very good coach. And yet he's good enough to win a championship. And that is all that matters. It's a great extension. Keeping him around is great. Anytime you can retain championship pieces, it's a good thing to do. You want to get better as well. But staying staying championship level is actually harder in sports than winning one for the first time. So that's the Bucks' new challenge. They've got a new roster to try and do it again. We want to look over it. I think I'm sure we'll do more, maybe more detailed, lengthy overviews of the collection of talent here, maybe position by position at some point. Um, really, we don't have a, a final roster yet. The Bucks have until basically the first day of the season, so after mm-hmm. training camp, to make their decision. They're going to have to release someone. They could bring back that someone on a two-way if they were so inclined, but they are going to have to release a player at some point, um, either uh, Mamadi Diakite or Elijah Bryant. But I think more importantly for now, let's just, Adam, take a look at the state of the Bucks roster and just share some some takeaways. We haven't really done this since they finalized all of their moves. I think the farther we get from 
the gut punch that was night one losing PJ, the more I look at this and go, their roster is actually better than it was when they won a championship last year. And that's pretty exciting. And it's also significantly younger too. Yeah, 100%. The roster is better. Um, the thing with losing PJ, I think I said this on a recent win in six, is you are nowhere near as good as the team you were are playing the way you played, but it just means you're now playing a different style. You know, if you come up against the Nets, it's not just going to be about we've got PJ Tucker on the rant and this is how it's done. You may not be looking to win whatever the score of that game was, 88. <laughs> I don't know, just a rock fight game. The rock fight, yeah. Like, you may not be looking to go that way anymore. You may be looking to open it up a little bit more offensively and just kind of, you know, you're giving up a slight slight amount on defense, but you're still going to be a really good defensive team, but also in the hope that you're going to find more on offense. I think that's going to be the the view of it for the books. I mean, I, I do think the thing with the books is, I think it's easy to look right now, and I think it's right to look and say they are a better roster than they were a year ago. There is also a possibility that a lot of the bets they've taken like really burn out. <laughs> They're in a tough spot come trade deadline. This is part of the reality of it, though, when you've got a team in this kind of spot. Like I I like Rodney Hood as a signing. I think Grayson Allen was a great pickup. Uh Semi Ojale, you know, he could be useful. We just have to wait and see though. You know, you may get very little out of the new players you brought in and find yourself in a spot where they're rolling with, okay, I think George Hill, we know what George Hill is as long as he holds up somewhat in terms of age, but even he has to do so little in a relative sense, this book's yeah. roster, I'd be quite confident in that. Um, shooting guard is major question mark. Like it's a question mark because Grayson Allen could come and just make that spot his own and be the starter on this team and a key piece going forward. It's a question mark because Dante could come back and be really good and kind of pick up where he left off and where he was robbed of in terms of being a part of the championship run. Um, or the other part of that is Dante could come back and not look right after injury and we're getting to the latter stages of his contract and he just may not be a part of this for very long. And yeah, I, I think there's there's more uncertainty than we'll probably talk about here because I think there's reasons to have a positive outlook when you're the NBA champions and you've improved your roster. But there's a there's a bit of improving the roster on paper. Like we do need to see what Rodney Hood looks like this season, how healthy he is, those kind of things, to actually really have a sense of whether they're better or not. But the idea of what they've done, I think, which is all you can do at this point, you won't know for sure. I think they've made some good decisions. I think really what it comes down to is, I think Grayson is Dante Insurance. Um, which clearly is is necessary. I mean, his injury problems throughout his career, been an inconsistent player when he is healthy, although clearly Do you has... think our documentary series will be out before Dante is back? Yeah, uh, no, I hope not. No, I don't think so. I but we don't, we don't actually know. He's ahead thing. of some schedule. That's all we, we don't know. know. Um, but I, I, think, I think the Grayson trade was probably my favorite move they made. I just think like... He's for sure a legitimately playable two guard. Like he can field NBA minutes. He started at times for Memphis among Jaron Jackson Jr. and other injuries there. And he was good. He can shoot the three. He's consistent. He's a fine defender. Like I just think that's exactly the kind of player you'd want to get as Dante Insurance. It just feels very reliable, which is maybe a little boring, but 
it's kind of what you need when you have Giannis, Chris, and Drew. You don't need a Dante-esque player where there's a gulf between the floor and the ceiling and you never really know what you're going to get. Now, if Dante comes back and is like playing consistently at like 80% of the peak we've seen from him, then he's a very good player and he's a starter and Grayson Allen is depth and that's fine. But I really like the insurance plan. I think right now as it stands, there's probably four guys that are going to get chances all regular season to fight for the big wing P.J. Tucker-esque role, although I certainly don't expect them to be starting in the playoffs. Rodney Hood, Semi Ojale, Jordan Wara, and I, honestly, Thanasis, who's still around and, and going to play. I mean, if he can, he might be honestly the closest to exactly what P.J. brought, although pretty far oh. off still. Maybe, maybe. well, I'm saying exactly in terms of skill sets. Like, I think Hood is a much different player. I, I think Ojale is maybe Ojale might be Ojale might skill be set and body type. Yeah, that that's fair as well. But I think those four are going to get chances all year. And that's the thing about this season, especially after the Olympics and the playoff run and another shortened off season. I think we're going to see everybody play a lot. Like in terms of not Giannis and Chris thirty eight. In terms of like, there's going to be nights when Rodney Hood probably gets like twenty eight minutes just to see if somebody else gets the night off or isn't playing as much. We know how the Bucks feel about the regular season. I think they're going to rack up wins anyway because I think they have a lot of talent. But I just I think it, that's actually good on multiple levels. I think it's good to get the team rest after this incredible run of basketball, especially played by the top four or so guys. And they they're going to have some decisions to make. They have right now more guys than you'd want to play in a playoff game who at least have the potential of being good NBA rotational players. They're going to have to figure some things out by the time we get to the real playoff series. Yeah, that that's kind of my read is that this is going to be one hell of a battle for yeah. minutes for opening night. Whether it's a battle for minutes come playoffs, I I don't know, and I guess we just have to wait and see on that. But they have a whole different level of kind of competitiveness going in, fighting for spots, um, fighting for minutes. There are a few guys that I mean, I think we can just kind of write off as being they're not going to play very much. There's not quite as many as there were a year ago, though. And even the players there, I, I think there's more more reason or maybe more urgency to have a look at their development. Um, Yorgos, I think, in particular, if you're giving him that deal and he's going to be here, he's going to be around. He's still young enough that I think it's very different to some of what they were doing last year, where you'd be like, oh, yeah, the young guys. It turns out the young guys were not that young at all. So a very different kind of profile of prospect in terms of what you're looking to develop. There's there's things I'm curious about. One thing, when you mentioned Dante there, I don't think we've ever had this conversation on any pod. I don't think it, it came up throughout the playoffs. Let's say Dante was healthy for the playoffs. Would he have held on to a starting spot through that run? Or... If not, at what point is he pulled? And if he's pulled, does he get back in? Like, that's something I'm kind of curious, just in terms of how he would have held up. I think we've talked a lot about, and it's obvious, they would have benefited usually from being available because even if he was coming off the bench, they just needed anything they could get in terms of quality guard minutes. That wasn't there. But I don't think we've ever got into the specifics of, well, when he got injured, he was a starter. And we kind of would have assumed he was a starter all along. Would that have held up? And if it did change where not to lead you in, I think there's a specific series where for the reasons that we know how it played out and we know how the books want it, you may make that change. 
I wonder, does it then change back again down the line? What's what's your take on that? Because I think it has a lot to say about Dante generally, not just even the questions of health that we have coming into the season. I really think it would depend on how he played. I think I think if he played well, he probably holds it, even if he's coming out at the first break for PJ to come in and pick up Durant. Um, if he didn't play well, I don't know. I don't know if they would have made that change if everyone was healthy. It, I've been thinking about this a little bit too. I almost wonder if it worked out better, as as harsh mm. as that sounds, because it did force them into playing more P.J. Tucker. Like, is there a universe where by the midpoint of the net series, maybe the second half of the net series, if Dante is playing well, let's say Dante is shooting again and hitting 40% of his threes, do they start small? Do they start Drew, Dante, Chris, P.J. Giannis at some point? Is that possible? I mean, we've talked about Brooke was very good in that series throughout the playoff run, indispensable, partially indispensable because he had to be. And certainly at that point when Bobby couldn't play anymore in that series, you just didn't have bodies. He had to play. There was no way about it. I don't know. I think he probably plays throughout, although we did see him play less in the in the Phoenix series. So it would have been interesting. I think it would have been harder to make those calls, although I think as a coach, you'd always rather have more options than less, even if it's easier to, to make the call when it's an obvious call. But I honestly, I, have, I feel like I have no way, no no idea how it would have turned out. But it would have been a little bit hairier if, you know, KD is is just looking unguardable. Maybe you have Giannis guarded more. I don't know. I don't know. I think the answer kind of lies in it would depend how he plays. I think that's the, it. I think that's 100% it. But I, I think that would then force your hand in a way where maybe he doesn't play because I don't know if you wanted that variance. That especially especially after Harden goes out right away in game one. Because going into the series, it was such a hard loss because you could put Drew on one of those guys. Mm-hmm. We don't really have anyone for the other guy. And obviously Giannis starts on Kyrie, which is so weird. My favorite weird thing from the Bucks playoff run. But, you know, if Harden is healthy, if they are health, more healthy the whole time, then I think he plays the whole series. But I think with only having one of the guards in at any given time for Brooklyn, he it's much more likely he gets pulled out. Yeah, and even facing, like, let's say it kind of plays out pretty similarly, but Dante's playing well. If you're coming up towards, let's say, game four and certainly beyond that, like each time where he's in, I think you're still like, if you were the coach of a team, you'd be like, yeah, maybe he plays well, but if he doesn't, you know, the season's over. And even more specifically, I could lose my job if you're, if you're Bud. Like, I think that says a lot about where they were. Now, the question I look at the roster right now is, is there like the safe bet version? Does that exist anymore? I'd say it's probably Pat Connaughton based on a level of trust that's been built up that Pat would find himself in there and they're, they're playing a little bit bigger than they have. Um, but I don't know. I, I kind of feel like he's still at some point. Uh, he would have come out in the net series. It's only that if he had been playing, if they had advanced through the net series, I wonder would he have come back in for some more minutes? I think in, so. In the finals, look at Bobby, right? Like we've we've seen, Bud is not Bud is not shy of saying these three games you're not going to see the court. We're going to give you some chances again. I really think it would have been all all in how he played. I think you're going to get chances. Everyone's going to get to a fault. Everyone, including Jeff Teague and a little bit of Elijah Bryant, are going to get chances. It's what you do with them. So I really do think it would be entirely dependent with what Dante showed up. 
for sure. But would he have would he have played or would he have started in the finals? Like if PJ ends up closing out a next series, I think you think so. against that team, yeah, I think it it made more sense. I I just think the thing that happened with PJ is, and for all of the limitations that were there with his game, but his teammates, everything, and Dante is a player that books players talk very highly of and their trust and their relationship with him. But I think there was just a next level of trust with PJ in terms of what he's going to do, his matchup every night, every possession, that it wasn't the most comfortable thing, even when they did it and even when they won it all. But I I feel like at that point, it would have been like, well, did we go with that or did we go with Dante? I kind of feel like they would have gone with that. But I am... You know, I do, do I start beef with Dante DiVincenzo on Twitter? No, I do not. <laughs> but on podcasts, I have been known right from the beginning to be more of a Dante skeptic than some other people. So maybe I, uh, we, we had a we had a fun question, not posed directly to us, but just posed in general in the Discord. And I want your take. I already weighed in, okay. in there. Who has more trade value around the league right now, Dante DiVincenzo or Pat Connaughton? I think it's easy. I think it's Dante. Oh, I think it's Pat. No question. I think it's Pat. I, I think you look at the shine that players, even role players on championship teams get and the contracts they get after that. I think Well, the, the, the one his thing contract I'll, I'll say being locked in as a deal, Dante expiring and not yet healthy. I, I think Pat. Well, the would have the more health value. is the thing. I, I think if much like we have no idea of his timeline, I think obviously Dante's trade value would be very much dependent on and um, what teams are getting a feel for in terms of his medical and you know are, are there going to be very kind of regular recurring injuries like just what is the next stage of his career going to look like from a health perspective i i think you'd find it easier to find a team that really believes in dante in a high-end way i don't mean as a star but as a starter like in the way that really the books have all along they've tried to make that happen pat is the safer bet you know, and sure, with his contract locked in, there's appeal there for it. But I, I do think, like, it, it depends exactly what you're looking to do. But I, I feel there will be a team or two out there if Dante's proven healthy that may well really like Dante and might like oh, yeah. this season to get Dante ahead of time and not be dealing with free agency or wondering, well, will the books look to do anything or will the books look to keep them? I, I think that's something there that maybe you don't have for Pat. I think there's a certain profile of team that would just be like, oh, Pat Connaughton, he's proven he can play this kind of role, uh, strong work ethic, guy who'll just kind of work in the locker room. Great. That's like, that makes sense for us. We'll trade for him. But I don't think anyone's going to be as excited as in proactively going to get Pat like you might have with Dante. I think so, good teams would be. But I, but I did the question is right now before Dante plays again, I don't think he has much trade value. Well, the way I will put it is I I think you will get a, the best offer, the best trade offer you get will be for Dante. I don't know. But you will get a much more significant volume of good offers on Pat. Like I I think there may be 29 teams who be like, "Oh yeah, Pat Connaughton. But I do think there could be one or two teams that are like, we really like something we see in Dante and we really believe in him and we're prepared to go and get him. So if that makes sense. I just think he's a player that there will be and there possibly still are even right now with the injury stuff teams that are like, yes, he's someone we'd love to have on our team. I think everyone would like to have Pat on their team. 
I think I think the issue is I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think Dante is in the worst possible position for a contract year because he's never gotten a substantial NBA payday. He's made money, mm-hmm. but he's never, you know, eight figures annually or anything like that. And he's not healthy to start the year. And he's like a proven starter, sort of, but was out obviously for the playoff run and has been in and out of the lineup. Like I just think I just think it's tough to say we're going to give up, you know, a good draft pick or a good player for a guy who's going to play part of the season. And we have to determine we have to pay him right after that. Like teams get scared about paying guys they're not sure about that. I think the Bucks probably are in that exact position right now, too. Hence the Grayson Allen trade. Although, really, even if they had firm belief in Dante. Getting Grace get and scared Allen. when they have to pay players they know about too. That's so. that's true. And even even if they intended to keep Dante, if you can get Grayson Allen for Sam Merrill in two seconds, you pretty much always do it because it's just an objectively good trade. I do think looking at the roster, like a four slash five, maybe a forward who can play five, something like that. Maybe just a five, even. Um, I do think we'll a see a big probably. I think I don't know. Would you, would you say a true big, like a, a, a center, a no doubt center? No, I, or a PJ I, th- I think Tucker it has to be of... someone who can play five. Like, yeah. it could be you if you, they decide to ultimately just go for a true big, that's fine. You, Bobby will play more at the four. I think there's certain configurations where that will suit him better anyway and make a lot more sense. And you work that out. If the best big you can get for what you're looking for is kind of a four, but they're able to hold their own at the five, I think that works too. Maybe it works better because you just have more depend on the player if it's actual literal switchability on the court. But you've you have more um I guess more diverse options in that you end up with a front court rotation where there are combinations of well, this guy's at the five, this guy's at the four. Like there's there's nothing with that that's kind of there's no downside to that. But I I think they need someone who can play center because Right now, it's it's broke for me. I know Bobby can back him up at the five. I know Giannis can play some five. Uh, one of those things I don't think you want to do in the regular season at all, and I do think the other one of those, there will still be series in the postseason where you will not want to see it. Like Bobby came up big in the finals, helped the Bucks to get there. He is also someone that they deemed unplayable against the Nets. And I think those two things have to kind of be weighed up at this point as you're approaching a new season where you're going to have an entirely new journey um, on your route to what you'd hope would be another championship. So for me, like I've no, I'm out on the Akita. I really am. I, I just don't see it. And I don't see the point of it from a book's perspective. Maybe they give him a two way and that's how the numbers will be made to work on the roster. Cause someone's either getting waived or, uh, converted to a two-way to make this roster work as is, but I don't see it, and I think there needs to be someone, someone real, and honestly with a bit more experience who can play the five. If there are four such five, that's fine, as long as you know it's not, oh, they can play the five. They need to be comfortable playing the five. Whether they're comfortable at another position too, that would be a bonus. Millsap still available, but unfortunately tied to the Nets, Lakers, and now Bulls, I believe. Bulls. Yeah. I, they have but, money, that's why I think. But I like um it's that's taking a long time though. Um, yeah, as, I, as I, in I he's know. sitting there. I'm not surprised. And I said this a while back, he's a guy who 
there's going to be a market. I don't think he's going to start the season unsigned under any circumstances. So he does have the luxury of being like, yeah, I guess I'll just wait and see and see what happens and see who offers and decide on my situation. I just think it's so perfect. Like it does. He is a four, but he is strong. At he's this a really point, good I rebounder. And at this point, five, yeah. I still think he's more of a four, but you'll be very comfortable with him at the five. He might be exposed less at the five. Yeah. And um, offensively, he's, I think, probably more of a four still. And if you have him, you, you don't even have to worry about, like at that point, one of Hood, Ojale, Wara, and Thanasis like working out. It would just be gravy. You'd already have yeah. a 10-man rotation of the point guard spot. You got Drew and George Hill. The twos, you're going to have Dante and, and Grayson Allen. Chris and Pat, although I, I think Pat's more of a 3-4, whatever. Chris and Pat, Giannis and Bobby, and then Brooke and uh, Paul Millsap. I don't think they're going to get him, but man, that would be then, – then you're talking about just ridiculous depth and a nice mix of some really good veterans in, in Hill and, and Millsap, of course, and then the young talent with upside and, you know, Grayson Allen, who it's not lost on me. He is roughly the same age Bobby Portis was when they brought him in and Ojale, who obviously is, is still pretty young, I think about 25 years old. Um, and I really like that mixture. Uh, I think it's good to have a little bit of both as a good team. Something else that's possible here, and I can already kind of think of a name as a potential candidate. This may be the PJ Tucker slot again, where it's like we don't get this result in terms of what it is. This might be done. Right. Till deadline, till buyout. Look, I'm wearing my Hawks t shirt. We've talked Bud. We've mentioned Paul Millsap. Like someone like Al Horford could easily be late season edition. He gets bought out. He's going to play there, though, isn't he? Will, will another player go from the outhouse to the penthouse? I hope that would be nice to think of. I don't. I don't know if you play there, and I also, I don't have a whole lot of faith in what the Celtics are doing. I, it's a conversation for another day. But I, I would not rule out Al Horford being someone who could be on the lookout for. Oh man, team. I would love. But I would love that as the backup five. He's just an example, anyway, right? I, yeah. I mean, I, I do think there will be an opportunity. There may not be a whole bunch of them. It tends to be, you know, if there's one or two good players that appear around the end of the trade deadline or on the buyout market, that's, you know, you've got very, very lucky and it's a tough battle to get your hands on them. Um, But I I do think there could be something there and maybe that's the path they go. Because even right now, beyond Millsap, I don't know of a whole lot. I mean, I haven't completely worked my way through an entire list. Baines has Giambo? pretty serious health concerns yeah. right now after the the Olympic thing. I actually Ed don't, Davis. I don't think Baines would be playing next season. Maybe I'm oh wrong on that. But Ed I, Davis or Biombo wouldn't be terrible. They're not I used fun. To, I used to like Ed Davis quite a lot. What has Ed Davis done recently? Not much. I think he's one of the everybody wants him, but I don't know if anyone's exactly sure why. Otherwise, the 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 list is pretty bare. Um, of available free agents. I didn't. I didn't even know he was with the Timberwolves last season. Does anyone know of what anyone with the Timberwolves is doing at, at any time? I didn't uh, know he was with the Jazz. The previous, I probably did know that. But Patrick like, Patterson? Eh. No, no. I don't think so. Man. I don't know if he can play. He's finished. Um, oh, Jakar Sampson. Not really what they're looking for. I always like Jakar Sampson. 
Um, but yeah, there's there's not much here as you can tell by the there's names not much there. from this list that I'm picking to to read. DJ Wilson, but, no, honestly had kind of a nice season in Houston. Cannot play the five. Yeah, so hard hard pass. Um, I, I, look, I think they're not in the mix for Millsap in any reported way. If that happened, that would be completely out of the blue, and that leads me to believe they're not doing something. They're not doing something for a big. They're going to yeah. go into the season with something like this. I I do think it's the position. They've resolved a lot of their guard issues. They've got really strong kind of depth across the two, three, and four even now. Oh, yeah. So it's the thing that's going to be hanging over us. It's going to be the new point guard discussion. It'd be nice for once for it not to be about a point guard. Although I do think this is less concerning than almost any other position on the roster just because we saw the upside of Giannis at center is, is great. And I would also prefer to have another big who can soak up regular season minutes. Maybe they'll just throw Diakite out there and really get definitive answers what, on What on if Brooke gets potential. injured? Yeah, that's the, that's like, the issue, right? Knock on wood. He's been unbelievably healthy. Although, I will say, point. outside oh. of the one Robin Lopez season, they've kind of always been in this spot in most of the bud tenure. They haven't had that many true backup bigs. Miritich was like a big deal for for depth when they got him. Like they haven't had that many true backup fives. They've just gotten lucky that Brook Lopez plays every single game except one every year. Well, I think the only other than Robin, I think the only season where they had actual centers is Bud's first season. They, have they started. They had Henson year? and Tan. Yeah, and yeah. both guys end up traded. Yeah. So by the time the playoffs come around, you're not in that position. Um, obviously, Ursan coming back. He was a four or five for them, mostly a four, but it I remember again, those five minutes. Hey, what, why are we talking about Ursa's still out there? That's true. I, I don't he's, even know if he was on the list. I, I like. actually think he's better than everyone not named Paul Bilsap, like that was just listed true. Like I'd rather Ursa than Ed Davis. He's he's been better than Ed Davis. I kind of like Biombo. No, no thank <laughs> Really? Listen. I love the big guys. You want someone who can play the five. I think Biombo is a better five than Ersan. I don't know if if he can play anywhere, really. Oh, man. I don't, I'm not at this point in his career. What age is Bismarck now? Look at the, look at the numbers that Raptors series. He had like a 20 rebound game. Bismarck is younger than I thought. But he's also shorter than you thought. That's the Bismarck Biombo issue. (laughs) Everybody the Hornets have signed has aged like a brick. Actually, bricks age well. Age like milk. No, I'm not. I'm out on Bismack. Sorry, I wouldn't Bismack. hate it. I wouldn't hate Bismack. But um, how how many of the guys do you think they're going to waive the non guaranteed? One or two is basically the question. Like, so they the, the, to clarify, it's Diakite and Bryant. They can keep one of them without getting rid of anyone else on the roster, and they're not going to get rid of anyone else on the roster unless it's a bigger trait. They wouldn't get rid of someone else just to keep one of Bryant uh, to Akita or keep both, I guess. But the question is, do they wave one and go to 15 or wave two and go down to 14 and then make buyouts easier and get off some guaranteed money? They wave both and they sign someone who is not yet in our world as a two-way. I think it would probably be Diakite. I think Bryant's been AWOL. I know he's got the cast. I'm not, the I'm not saying what I prefer. Listen, Jordan, I'm not saying what I prefer. Jordan's going to come on and give us the latest updates from all the He should. Contacts. Listen, he hasn't been anywhere in the universe, in the Bucks, you know, the Bucks extended universe, and they need a big more. And with the, is just not good, though. With, that's that's like, fine. With the way the roster is. 
save the money now, open the roster spot, and you're ready to strike and get that. Like I just they'll they'll sign someone if Brooke gets injured, they'll sign someone yeah, or if Bobby, you know, immediately yeah, yeah. they'll do that. I just don't think it's the Akide. So I think it's that and I believe they will cut ties with that. They'll cut their losses, which are not very significant on them, and they'll just move on. Like I don't what is the point of that? Actually, if there's gonna be development minutes for a big Mom and Kayla Shvelli. Exactly. Yeah, I don't want to see that. don't want to see Mamadi get them because it's like he is not gonna be a part of this long term. Like that's just not how it is. So if you're giving developmental minutes, if there's like third big minutes or just you, you know, guys are being rested, you're you're bringing him up from the G League. I want to see him get the minutes. Not you don't Mamadi. think he can play the five, do you? I have no idea what he can do. There's, <laughs> Offensively, maybe. I, I defensively, I'm. I there's don't know. no limits to what Sandman can do, but um, no. From what I've seen so far, I don't believe it. But like, is he any less of a five than Diakite? I t- I don't have an answer. Oh, I on think that. he is. I, I I have issues with Diakite's size and age too. I, I think Diakite is closer to a five than than Mamu, but maybe Mamu. But that's just because of how they play, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's important. I mean, yeah, but maybe this is just a whole new type of five. Maybe he's about to revolutionize the game. Like this is, this is you've got Jokic's one step, and then I'm not even. I don't think this is gonna happen, but I do think there is gonna be a center who will come along and is playing closer to the the mold that Manu Kalashvili is, and that is gonna be the next stage of like Giannis was the equivalent of that for power forwards. It's like oh, eventually this. Someone's going to come out this spot, and it's like, oh, they can do all the things they need to do um, in terms of defense. They are rebounding. Oh. It's certainly Sandman is not in position to do that. I got, I've got the two candidates. Also... Sorry. Okay. I know go it's going to be one of Derek Favors, Mike Muscala. They're both currently on the Thunder. It's got to be. Nobody wants to stay there. I like Favors quite a lot. I, I, I think Muscala, actually. I would take either. Muscala is fine. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have watched uh, quite a bit of Mike Muscala over the years. Bud has very much got the inside track on Mike Muscala. I don't know if what he would have taken from that would be to like rush to John Horst's office the moment that Muscala's available and be like, get me Mike Muscala now. Like, I. He's, he's fine. Yeah. The interesting thing with Muscala is it's it's closer in some ways to a Brook approximation than they've ever really had, although I'm being very generous on that. It's a, closer to a Brook offensive approximation, and he's kind of, he's fine. He can be solid defensively. I like I, I think I like my Favors more, too. Fa- favors is just better. Like, Favors, yeah. favors I think, could have had the same Millsap thing if he'd got out of the Jazz at a certain point, gone to the right team. Like, I really think Favors' career has just kind of faded away because he stayed there for so long when Gobert was their guy and it just never never got to have the kind of role or the kind of season that I think he could have had elsewhere. So I've always really liked Favors and Favors even as someone like a few years younger than... Just turned 30. I like Favors as a guy that if you get in and it works, you bring him back and it's maybe a different version of what your starting center could look like over the next two to three years. You know, just buying those couple of years um extra that you're not you're not gonna have a brook in terms of age range. But I've always favors, liked favors. Favors and Portis would be a pretty solid front court bench duo. I think they'd play together pretty well. 
Mm, very well. And Favors would also do a good job of covering over some of the things that uh, can be concerns with Bobby. And it's just, just a steadier presence. Like, I think the dynamic between them would be really good. Yeah, I think Bobby adding the spacing to Favors' front court when Favors is really a, you know, you find him in the paint. That's where Derek Favors is going to mm-hmm. be. Unfortunately, I think it would have to be a buyout for Favors. I think, oh yeah, he's still <laughs> the, the biggest contract on the Oklahoma City Thunder this year before Shea's extension kicks in is Derek Favors at $9.7 million. Next closest is Josh Giddy at 5.9, their freshly drafted rookie. They are well below the salary floor. Books don't have any trade exceptions left. There's no way they're going to bring on $10 million in salary for a backup center. For sure. Because Um, trade exceptions need more tax at this point. More salary than you currently have. I don't think they have anything even close to big enough for... No, they have uh, 1.6 million is their biggest. Tory Craig. Mm. Um, and they also have 1.5 from Merrill, the way they structured that trade. No, I, I was thinking that they have anything in the five ish million range, but they don't. Because um, I was thinking Dante, Tunner, the Can't kind of team it. who could Can't be. combine them. That's, sorry, that's also true. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, it would have to be a buyout. There's no other path to it unless. I don't know. Brooke has a catastrophic injury, and they're like, "We're trading Brooke Lopez." Yeah, Brooke and, Brooke and Dante for favors or something. Yeah, let's not even not even speak that in the universe. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, actually we had news break during this Rondo to the Lakers. Well, I saw that. Do we consider that news? Like, I I don't know. That team sucks. I, I don't think they're terrible, but I don't I think, think they're, they're going to win a championship. They're I mean, they still have LeBron West. and Anthony Davis. Are those guys good? Yes. But I think I do think Russ makes them worse in the playoffs. I I mm, yes, one hundred percent on that. LeBron is a human man, you know. He's aging. I'm seeing he's, that now, he's getting older. I think people are just you know overlooking that, in spite of the fact that all they're doing is surrounding him with similarly like aging. It's not even the ages. I, I think if they got guys who are old that fit really well. I think they'd be a, they could still win a championship. I think the issue I have with them. Is they're building like their their whole thing this summer was building more toward regular season floor than playoff ceiling. And I just don't know why you do that. Like the whole thing about Westbrook was, oh, LeBron doesn't want to have to do all the creation. They need another guard, this and that. What the hell is he gonna do in the fourth quarter of a playoff game when you know LeBron is going to do all of the creation? And he's oh, Anthony Davis is also the guy, mind you. It, not really, but that's what LeBron says. So what it, it, is Westbrook going to be an off-ball player, the worst shooter in the NBA? Is he is he going to move off the ball ever? Is he going to cut? He's going to cut once in one game, and there's going to be a whole media cycle about how LeBron has changed Westbrook, and then he's not going to do it for another month because he never does it. He never does anything. He doesn't have the ball. He doesn't do anything on defense. I just think like if you if, and I know they wanted him, they couldn't get him. But like if if your old guy is Chris Paul and not Westbrook. I think they're really, really good. And I still think they're going to win a lot of games, but I, I just I don't like what their priorities were. They used all their juice on a player that I don't think is going to help them when they need help the most. Who cares also, if you don't win a ton of regular season games? Like, just lose some. It doesn't matter. They put stock in a weird championship. Like, they yeah. they put stock in that that was something real and repeatable that in normal seasons was going to hold up, and they're kind of trying to repeat that model. Anthony Davis's um, shooting in the mid-range and from three has never looked like that before or after. It's, it's like 
time has gone on anyway. You know, the, the clock keeps moving. So the versions of Le- the version of LeBron is older. I mean, a- AD is undoubtedly great. I don't think he's great enough unless you're getting a version of LeBron that's fully healthy and doing all of the LeBron things, you know, that we associate with him at his best. I don't think Anthony Davis is a good enough second best player. And Russell Westbrook does not help that because you're only going to probably take away from what Anthony Davis can be, you know, like that's to me. And it goes against, I guess, what was conventional wisdom from the moment Anthony Davis stepped into the NBA, but he's just like a lesser Giannis. (laughs) He's Kevin Garnett. I think he's, he's very similar to me. No, I'm not having that. I think KG is very much a better player, but key to that anyway is look at, the difference in the moves they made in their career. So KG goes from the Timberwolves where he couldn't get it done, but I was doing a lot more than Anthony Davis was doing with the Pelicans. Like, I think that's a big thing. Yes, one, aside one from one farther? season. One round farther? But I, I also just think in terms of his own individual, the consistency of his individual Oh, yeah. He stayed healthy too. I think like, that is a big Which role. is crucial. Yeah. But it's like... You've got that, so I would give him a slight... There's not a massive difference. I give KG a slight edge on who he was when he left the team that drafted him over AD. But more importantly, then he goes to a situation where ultimately when it comes together... That's, he was probably the best player. Yeah. But, but it's also built out in a way that's like really logical for how best to utilize him. Like Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, that worked. That made sense. Those guys were not old either. You've got... Like, think of how long ago that was. Rajon Rondo was key on that team, and now Anthony Davis is having to actually play with Rondo. Uh, it's, it's wild. <laughs> I don't understand it at all. So that's the thing. For as good as AD is, one, his health is just a constant question mark, which is a problem when you're the only young star on your team. You know, it would be great if the young guy on your team was reliably healthy because LeBron is going to get injuries now. It's just the way it works. Um, so I, I do not like that team at all. I do not think they're good. I will continue to beat this drum until they potentially win a championship and I have to <laughs> eat humble pie on it. But like, they're not the best team in LA. I don't think it's close. I think it's close with Kawhi not playing this year. Oh, come, yeah. If that's what we're talking about, though, well, the yeah, Lakers well, aren't think, even think, a contender. Oh. Yeah, I, I think they are a contender, but only because this is like the shakiest we've seen the West in decades. Like this specific season with no Murray, no Kawhi, no Clay until like Christmas. I just think like, I think the Suns could run it off again. Yeah, honestly. I was going to say, I'd take the Suns like quite comfortably. And even the Suns are making some nice offseason decisions. Even today, they were being like kind of got linked to the Young. teams in the Tad Young mix, yeah. which is like, yeah, that's a really good player if you could get him. And particularly also looking at how they lost, who they lost to. It's like, would that guy be useful in a series against the books? He's really good for the books too, quite honestly. <laughs> really but. good for the books. Um, but that's, yeah, I, 100%. And even you're saying no Clay till Christmas. Christmas isn't that far. Like if I think the if, Warriors could do it too. If Clay comes back and the Warriors can actually stay healthy, there's no comparison between that team and the Lakers. Like the Lakers, I would not have... We've had the conversation now. I would not have brought that up as relevant breaking news because I just <laughs> I don't like them seriously. They could go out in the first round. I think that's true. I mean, they did they did last year, and I just yeah. think I think there's just going to be a very even. I think it's going to be a fun year for the West playoffs. I really think there's going to be an element to, unless somebody makes a you know adding James Harden style move, which maybe isn't out there. We'll see what happens in Portland, but 
Um, I do think there's going to be an element of like, oh, wow, and really there's, there's five teams that could win the West this year and then lose to one of Milwaukee or Brooklyn. For sure. I mean, it's, it's wide open out there, but also there will be a team that takes a step like a team we didn't talk a whole lot about, and I get why we don't, but obviously the Jazz were very good throughout the regular season I'm last out. year. Nope, I'm out. I'm, nope. I'm there with you, but it's like if it's Jazz Lakers... I'm not saying that the Jazz can't get through the Lakers. So a lot of in the West is going to seeding is going to really matter, and it's going to depend when you get a team and if things break your way, or if as the Suns did, if you can be the team to knock someone off early, yeah. it's like okay, well our path is now clear. Like there's there's no one to stop us from doing whatever. That's that's the thing to watch out there. And there's enough teams like the the Nuggets without Murray. That's a massive loss, but you know what, Jokic. It's really, really good. Yes. Um, and they've got other good players. It's it's open enough that a team like that could even find something. But yeah, we'll see. I'm not it's gonna be many, many months before I'm really worried about what's happening in the Western Conference. Yeah, yeah we're we're way off field. I think I think we've covered everything we were looking to cover, probably a lot more in this episode. It's great GSPN crossover. But Adam, is there is there anything else before we sign off here? Um, no, not really. Uh, gspn.substack.com. Go and sign up. That's where you'll make sure you get everything GSPN straight to your inbox. Other than that, I mean, if you haven't subscribed to the Eurostep Podcast Network YouTube channel, you could go and do that too. That'd be an even quicker way to make sure you get GSPN Jeopardy straight yes. to straight to your channel, straight to your feed, whatever way you want to. You need to make sure you get this because Ty is gonna. I have a feeling Ty is gonna be beaten so badly in in books Jeopardy. These may be famous last words. Maybe I'll be made to regret this. But I'm just going on a good instinct I have. Plus the fact that you yourself, Ty, admitted you felt like this may not go very well. It's just like Giannis saying, "Not maybe nothing's different before the Heat series." That's just that's just what you right. say publicly. That's not of course big time. Ty is comparing yeah. himself to Giannis. Yeah, who else? Um, but you you do not want to miss the no. the book's Jeopardy. No. So you want to kept subscribe. Here's the the GSPN support GSPN roadmap. Go to bit.ly slash find GSPN. One, subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. Two, subscribe and hit the notification bell on YouTube. Find this very episode of the pod, the Jeopardy we're gonna do this week, and much more Bucks content on the YouTube. Three the Substack, which will also be at that link, but also found at gspn.substack.com. Sign up there to, you know, be in on when all of this stuff actually drops before it's even on social media. You'll have it first. You'll have it first. Plus tons of bonus content, articles, who knows what else, sneak peeks, behind the scenes. We're going to figure out a bunch of fun stuff for the Substack. So sign up everywhere. Thank you for continuing to support and supporting us all throughout this new venture, only a couple months old still somehow. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening to this episode. And unless that, you have one more thing? No, is there any What's reviews? That's, that's I don't, I don't think we have say. any reviews. I think the reviews have slowed checking, down. Cause, cause yeah. Well, then people got to leave reviews. Speed up. Leave a review. Get it read on the next episode at the, at the outro here. I'll butt in, cut off probably Rohan and read a review. If you leave one, a five-star review on Apple, it will be read. No matter your country, we cover all international reviews. So thanks for continuing to do that. Leave one if you haven't. Otherwise, stay safe and go Bucks.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.